Stay put. Good evening, everybody. It's 6.30 on the East Coast, 3.30 on the West Coast, which can only mean one thing. They're three hours behind us, and it's time for the Bobcast MOV with Rick, T, and Bob. Hey, let me tell you what. We have a great guy on. We have a great guy. We have a great guy on tonight. I met this guy at a, uh, this gentleman, at a town hall meeting for a friend of mine, ours, Roger Con or Chad Conley. And this is Mr. Marshall Wilson. He's the Constitutional Party candidate for governor of the state of West Virginia. Yes, sir. The more I sat there and listened, the more I sat there and listened to that guy, I was like, wow. So what we're going to do now, before we get into anything else, we're going to let him introduce himself, tell us a little bit about himself, about the Constitutional Party, and then we'll go from there. So right. the floor is yours, sir. Welcome to the Bobcast MOB. Well, I'm not really sure what I need to do with the floor. I'm pretty good at mopping it, but uh, anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I can't tell you what an honor it is to be here, Miss T. I understand you're uh, you're just getting started with the program, and I'm sure you're going to bring some real class to what's going on around here, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, it needed um, it, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Marshall Wilson. My name is Marshall Wilson. I'm the husband of a valiant woman. My uh, uh, my wife, Julie, is one of the strongest and smartest people I know, and uh, more importantly than that, one of the most uh, ethically based, more intent on doing what's right than anyone I've ever known. Uh, I have nine kids. We have nine kids. Um, I'm not real sure how that happened, but, uh, uh, you know, we like most of them most of the time. I'm a retired combat veteran, U.S. Army infantry officer. I was a missionary in the Amazon jungle. I hold a master's degree in national security. I'm an ordained minister. Uh, I am about halfway through a PhD program in uh, public policy focused on national security. I've served two terms as a West Virginia delegate from South Berkeley County, so you can look me up on the uh, legislative website and also maybe find some news articles about me, but I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't take too much the news articles say about me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I take those with a grain yeah. of salt. They've said some pretty interesting things about me. Um, but, uh, my entire purpose in life is to ensure that my nine kids can raise their kids in a free country. That's it. That's the only reason I get out of bed. It's the only reason I still exist. I wouldn't have any purpose in my life if it weren't for that. And, uh, frankly, that, uh, that's been pretty much my purpose all the time, all the way along 20 years in the infantry. I took an oath to uphold the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. No one has relieved me of that oath. As far as I know, they never will. Uh, my intent is to continue following that oath, no matter where it takes me, no matter what it costs me. And uh, I will take a bullet to the face to secure your individual natural rights as they're recognized under the U.S. Constitution. Because if you're not free, my kids can't be free. My entire purpose is to make sure they are. Now, see, that's one thing that Rick says all the time. Rick's, Rick was in the United States Navy. And Rick says the same thing all the time. He says, nobody relieved me of that, taking of the, taking the there you go. to defend the Constitution. Rick, I'm, he I'm, said fortunate, that's a, that's a I'm fortunate to be married to a woman who gets it, too, because my wife's a retired Navy officer. And, uh, you know, she is very true to her oath. And uh, she does not back down from anything ever, including me. <laughs> now, now, see, that's something else right there. So yeah. 
if you would tell, kind of explain a little bit about for those who don't know anything about the constitutional party i know it's a you know rick aren't you a member of the constitutional party or were you at one time i was yeah for for about eight years okay that's what i thought i, I remember seeing that so if you could explain a little bit of i mean some a lot of people don't know what the constitutional party is and if you could okay well just to just to start just to start i'm not being pedantic here i just uh I appreciate when people let me know when I've got something a little off. So uh, it's the Constitution Party, uh, not the Constitutional oh, Party. That's that's a, it, it's not a big deal. I, I just thought you want to know. Um, I got Teresa's name wrong too. So, <laughs> so uh, the Constitution Party is a very small group of people here in West Virginia who are absolutely dedicated to ensuring that we can go forward with constitutional governance. They want to reestablish constitutional governance in West Virginia. Um, I think this is critical. And the reason that I think it's critical is because, and first of all, I want to say I, I, I described them as a very small group, not to um, not to put down the Constitution Party, but rather to say that these people are really dedicated and uh, they're very serious about it. And we're going to grow the party and uh, we're going to grow the effect of the party through this campaign. And uh, as we go forward, because um, because I know from being inside the Capitol, that uh, no one else is focused on the Constitution. No one else is focused on establishing constitutional governance or uh, protecting your individual natural rights or securing the blessings of liberty to your posterity. No one is. But these people are. That's why I'm a member of the Constitution Party. That's awesome. So, T, do you have any questions? Yeah. So um, who can vote for you in the primary? Well, there is no primary for the Constitution Party. And the reason is because uh, we are not a what's called a major party. So the only parties that have primaries are the, the Republicans and the Democrats. The other parties choose their candidates by um, uh, either by um, um, what's it called a convention by acclamation. There are other ways of doing it. But the Democrats and the Republicans are the only ones who actually have a state held primary. And that's you know, that's uh, that's kind of interesting because they're the only parties that uh, the taxpayers actually pay for their their candidate selection process. I thought that was kind of interesting. So they're pretty special. You get to pay for their candidate selection process, whether you're a member or not, and whether you support their candidates or their process or their party or not. But uh, there you go. Right. Yeah. So you have to you have to have so many um, signatures to get on the ballot. Is that yes, correct? Where you have yes to sir. Thank you for bringing that up. So. The, the law states, West Virginia law states, that for a party that doesn't have ballot access, one of these minor parties I was just talking about, except uh, the Libertarians have ballot access, but they're still considered a minor party just because of their size uh, in West Virginia. But anyway, um, to, uh, to put a candidate on the ballot, what you have to do is collect a number of signatures equal to 1% of the total number who voted for that specific, that specific seat last election. So um, I believe it's 7,840 is the actual number. That's 1% of the total number who voted in the gubernatorial election in 2020. But um, we just rounded it up to 8,000. I don't see any reason to, to stop short. And not only that, we want to make sure that we have enough. So we're going to go ahead and keep pushing past the 8,000. But what we're looking for is 8,000 by, by January 25th so that we can demonstrate that we actually are a viable can campaign. People can look to us and say, these guys are actually getting the job done. Uh, my name will be on the ballot if we have 8,000 signatures, when we have 8,000 signatures. 
my name will be on the ballot in the general election. So in other words, you'll have a Republican candidate, you'll have a Democrat candidate, and you'll have Wilson on there as the Constitution Party candidate once we have these 8,000 signatures. How far how far along are you? If you, if you I believe last ask. time, let me look real quick. Uh, it's on our website. Okay. If you go to Marshall, just spelled just like the county, it's uh, actually my given name. Go to Marshall, uh, numeral four, wv.com. You don't want to go to uh, forwv.com because some clever guy turned that into a porn site. What you want to do is <laughs> go to go to Marshall, just like the county, numeral four, wv.com. That's our website. And if you click on, yeah, if you look right there on the, the homepage, there's a big red rectangle and it says we have 2,835 validated signatures out of the 8,000 that we need. So, so you have to we, you have, have 8,000 8, by January the 1st, is that correct? No, sir. 21st. No, sir. The, uh, the actual deadline, according to West Virginia law, is, October, is August 1st. So we will. De I'll definitely be on the ballot. We'll definitely have it by August 1st. But internally, our team has set this deadline of January uh, because, you know, we don't, we don't want to lose momentum. We want to have focus. And, but, but really what it comes down to is we want to be able at the end of January to say we are absolutely on the ballot. We are a valid campaign. Uh, it's not like we're just, uh, you know, we're just some guys out here shaking sticks or hollering and, you know, howling at the moon. We're actually going to have a candidate for governor on the ballot in November. And uh, of course we will. I mean, we have 2000, almost 3000 now, 2,835 at this point that are validated and we're constantly gathering more. We've got people gathering more right now as we're speaking. I've got a, a two signature sheets with 20 of them on it sitting right here in front of me. So the count's always going up. Good. Um, so we'll, good. we'll get there by August. What we want to do is get there a lot sooner than that so we can focus on, we can move past collecting signatures and move on to actually campaigning to win. Yeah. Right. Rick, do you have anything? To, you have any questions or anything, Rick? No, I'm pretty well caught up. I'm just, I'm okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got all kinds of <laughs> questions. Okay, first of, all, first of all, what sets you apart from the other gubernatorial candidates? <clears throat> I am the wow. only one, I am the only one who wants to establish constitutional governance. Yeah, that's it, that's the whole thing. I will absolutely okay. lay down that my life. Perfect. I spent 20 years in the infantry proving it. I will lay down my life for the U.S. Constitution and for the West Virginia Constitution, which recognizes the U.S. Constitution as the supreme law of the land. So uh, that's it. If you want constitutional governance, I am the only candidate that you can you can count on. Seems to be getting trampled on a whole lot. Oh, it's it's gone far beyond that. I mean, it's, 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 it's shredded. shredded. It's, it's gone far beyond that. So um, Y'all probably know this. Um, you know, I, I teach in a master's level program. I'm, I'm on hiatus from it right now, but I teach in a master's level program. And one of the things that I do is it's called military operations. I teach uh, command mm -hmm. leadership. I teach uh, military uh, um, analysis. And I also teach asymmetric warfare um, at a master's level. But uh, what I one of the things that I, I always do is I take everything we're doing, the military is doing all the way back to the Constitution and say every single thing that we do has to be justified by constitutional governance because the military is a branch of the government. As a matter of fact, it's exactly. 
it's the branch that really needs to be under control. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I, like I say, I have 20 years in the infantry, I teach this stuff. And my absolute intent is to make sure that the government is dismantled to the point that it only accomplishes its single individual uh, uh, task. And the only task that the government has is to secure your natural rights. And I can prove it. Are you ready for this? The Declaration of Independence, the American Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator, not by government, by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. Given that, what's the purpose of government? To secure these rights. That's it. Yep. It exists for no other reason. And, and they don't. And they, they try very hard to take it away from us because it interferes it. with their power, with their power level struggle. Yep. So, you and know, I, is, I was at a... Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Ahead. No, I, I, I can step it on you. I'm, I'm not hearing you. So go ahead, please. Oh, you're not hearing me? You okay? No, it's it's my fault. Go ahead, please. I'm listening. That, that's okay. I was at a uh, town hall meeting with Roger Conley the other night. Mm -hmm. And I met Chris, um, Chris Warner, Mac Warner's brother. He's running for secretary of state. Sure we is. got talking about stuff. We got <laughs> no, don't, you don't, don't, don't you, know. don't you think that's exactly what we need in West Virginia is just for a, a certain few families to just kind of move in and take over everything and hold control of that forever. Not really, but at the no, same time, I, I don't I mean, either. <laughs> This, I mean, he's a very nice guy. Very nice guy. He's a very he's nice guy. He's going to be on the podcast, what, Rick, three weeks? I don't know. Sometime. Three weeks. Whenever we can get him in the next 50 years. Whenever we can get him to commit to it. <laughs> well, well, he asked me what. So, you know, but anyway, we were talking about jobs and we were talking about the government overreaches and stuff like that. And, you know, as governor of the state of West Virginia, you see all these businesses that are going elsewhere besides here. Mm -hmm. Now I do know we got LG the other day. That's, that's interesting because we were talking actually about, I know Roger was about why we're not getting anything money and, you know, spreading the love around. So what do you think is our biggest obstacle as a government, state, if any government. Okay. That, all right. That's what I want to hear. So, so what happens what is government, government sets up, Government sets up all these impediments to everything, yep. to you living your life, to you starting a business, to you running a business, to other businesses coming here. They set up all these impediments, taxes, regulations, uh, silly relationships that you've got to have with people who shouldn't be involved at all. But they have some little button or lever of power at, at the in the government that they can use to destroy your life. Right. So mm -hmm. what they do is they set all this up. And then if you show up and you kowtow and you play the game the way they want you to, then what they'll do is they'll not only bring you in, they'll, they'll give you tax credits and, and let you have special bits of land and let you have certain considerations. They'll actually take $300 million of taxpayer money and give it to you, even if you're aligned with the Communist Chinese Party or the Chinese Communist Party. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Gates up in the Northern Panhandle. Sure, they want businesses here. They want businesses here that are aligned with their ideology, who play their game, who kowtow to them, and who make sure that the plate gets passed a little closer to them. What I want is for the government to leave business alone, 
to stop taxing them into oblivion and to let them let you start a business. Stop making it so hard and so costly to start and maintain a business. The, the economy will grow on its own. It doesn't need the government to, to uh, uh, subsidize this and all that. It doesn't need all that. People will make money. People will build businesses. People are creative and hardworking and intelligent, and they don't need the government saying, hey, if you go do this, we'll give you money so that you can then do that and you can then make money and then you can give more of it back to us. What they need hmm. to do is leave people alone. And I actually had uh, had words with Chris on that specific point, uh, talking, I believe, about uh, about form energy, or it might have been about this other thing that you just mentioned. Um, you know, he he posted on Facebook how proud he was of the economic growth that the government had had uh, uh, had created. And my response was, first of all, government doesn't create economic growth. Government can only kill economic growth. What you're saying is that they have chosen to not kill this particular economic growth or they've chosen to kill off other economic growth to make that economic growth possible. That's what you're really saying. So economic growth is supposed to be a jungle. It's not supposed to be someone's backyard garden. It's not supposed to be under control. It's supposed to grow organically. And there are systems that grow inter, inter they're interconnected and interdependent that no person or group of person can possibly contain, control, or, uh, or predict. What you need to do is you need to leave people alone and let them figure out how to make money. You need to leave businesses alone and let them figure out how to do their jobs. Now, you can't let them kill people. <laughs> you, can't, you can't let them deprive other people of their rights, you know, encroach on their land or whatever else like that. You can't let them poison people by dumping stuff all over the place. Obviously, those things need to be controlled. But as far as controlling the economic activity, as long as they're not robbing anyone, it's none of the government's business. If I want to start a business to sell left-handed pink widgets, you know, they don't need to come in here and describe to me what a left-handed pink widget is. I just need to make left-handed pink widgets. And as soon as I've got a market that, that uh, you know, I, I developed a market where people are buying left-handed pink widgets, by God, I'll sell some left-handed pink widgets. And if the government doesn't like it, they can go jump off a cliff. He's already on That's the website. <laughs> I'm sick to death of the government or any agent of the government saying, hey, look at the great economic growth we made. You don't create wealth. The government does not create wealth. Wealth is created by individuals who invest themselves. And by themselves, right. I mean their effort, their time, their capabilities, their creativity, their hard work. That's what creates wealth, not the government. The government can do nothing except steal wealth and then redistribute it. And it needs to stop. Period. So I'm sorry. So, I mean, you how, me how, do you, how do you get the people? How do you get the people to follow your I, I you know, we, like if you become governor, I'll say when mm -hmm. because you're how do you how do you bring it together to these people and say, look, this is how it's got to be and get them to fall in line with that, with that ideology instead of saying, okay, well, first, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep stepping no, on no, you, man. I, I don't I was, mean to I was, go ahead. No, I was done. I was done. I, I was just, okay. So, so here is basically my strategic plan. My strategic vision is to restructure West Virginia's government, at least the executive branch of the government so that it functions strictly according to the West Virginia and U S constitutions, as well as the principles of Liberty, upon which both of those documents are founded. 
Now, the principles of liberty, I have a lot of people get upset and they're like, well, you know, you define it one way, I define it another. I'm simply reading the document that defined it for our country. We hold the truth to be self-government. Your, your individual natural rights. We're done here. That's the only reason it exists. What I will do based on that uh, to achieve that strategic vision is I have a strategic plan. And basically, my cat's coming in here to check us out. I hope you don't mind. Anyway. Okay, my, mine's sitting right over My here. dog and his cat are there all the time. So. <laughs> so, so the basic idea is that I will do what I've done in the Army. And I understand it doesn't work the same in the government as it does in the Army. I, I get that. I've been in the government. But um, uh, the way what it comes down to is I will audit every single department, every single bureau, every single office, every single function of the executive branch, every single one. And I will audit them for constitutionality, legality, um, operations, personnel, and, of course, fiscal responsibility. And then I will also, uh, on top of that, is, is like the uh, icing on the cake. I will also audit them for customer focus, customer service, because you own them. You, the people, own the government. And it no, needs to serve really? you. <laughs> and it needs to serve you under the Constitution according to constitutional principles. In other words, you don't just get to get whatever you want from the government, except some people do, and that needs to end. So exactly. what needs to happen is I will go in and I will do this audit. Obviously, I'm not going to do it all by myself. First of all, I don't know everything. I'm going to need forensic accountants. I'm going to need people who, who actually know what they're looking at, right? So my, my expertise is in, uh, if, if you can call it that, I don't believe anybody has any real expertise, at least the way people claim it. But my background, my education, my training, my experience is in security operations. So, um, you know, I will go into the, uh, I personally will be one of the main auditors on the emergency operations programs in this state. I wrote the emergency operations plan, the all hazards operations plan. I was one of the three people who wrote Louisiana's after Hurricane Katrina. I worked in emergency operations as a National Guard officer in Maryland. I ran their uh, tactical operations center during big snowstorms and stuff like that. So I know how it's supposed to work. But if you're talking about banking operations, I need some help. I need some people who actually know how those things work. And I will find the right people and get them involved. But I actually want to start. And of course, recently they broke this department up into three new departments so that each one of them can grow with its own budget, because that's what we need is more government. Yeah. But anyway, DHHR, uh, my, my full intent, based on my experience with the leadership of DHHR as a delegate, sitting in committees and asking them questions and having them refuse to answer questions because, you know, delegate, you really wouldn't understand the answer anyway, and you don't have any expertise in this. And and y'all, look, just trust us, they're babies who need us to do more stuff for them. So give us more money. And I say, well, that, that may be true, but we need to know what you're doing with the money you already got. And their response is, well, you, you wouldn't really understand. Well, wow. as the governor, as the governor, as the chief executive, the chief of the executive branch, I have the authority to walk into each department and say, let me see your stuff that they refuse to show us in the legislature. And I will audit every single line. Anything that I find that's unconstitutional, I will issue a uh, or that's uh, illegal or that's not strictly in line with the, 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 the laws that establish that department or branch or whatever or department or office or whatever. I will actually issue an, uh, an executive order to correct that. Now, that's that's something else people don't understand. An executive order is an order from the chief executive to members of the executive branch. 
the chief executive has no authority, none, to issue any kind of an order to the people. The people are the sovereign authority, not him. He's, he's just their little manager of one third of the government. That's all. He's not, he's not, uh, uh, he's not a king. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's an employee that we hire to manage one third of our government, not to tell us what to do. Right. So that needs. So what I would do as your governor is I would go in and I would audit every single, every single uh, department, every single office, every single function of the executive branch to ensure that it actually functions according to the legalities, the constitution, uh, good, uh, operational, uh, good operational practices, uh, good fiscal practices, and also good personnel practices. And then I will, I will compel them to become more user friendly for your benefit because they work for you. Um, if it's, if what I find is unconstitutional, then I will, uh, I will direct them to change. If that comes up with a legal challenge, because there's a law that says you have to do this, I will go to the, uh, uh, Supreme court, West Virginia Supreme court and ask them to make a ruling on whether or not this law, this positive law actually matches constitutional law, because as we all know, any positive law, that's a law that's written by a legislature or by people. Uh, any positive law that doesn't comport with constitutional law is invalid. It just is. Wow. So, right. I uh, absolutely will question everything that I find that I believe is unconstitutional. Uh, in addition to that, if I can't get um, if I can't get the finding that I need there, and I still believe it's wrong, I will go to the legislature and I will actually propose my own legislation. A lot of people don't know the government does that. For the governor does that pretty regularly. Uh, and the funny thing is, uh, with Jim Justice, our Republican governor, working with the Republican uh, supermajority in the legislature, uh, anytime he showed up and said, hey, I need more money for this program or whatever, they called, he called in a special session and they push that thing right through. Now, keep in mind, I was a Republican delegate. I sat in the discussions uh, you know, with the caucus and I said, this is a bad idea. And the response I got was, the governor wants it. My response is, I don't care. It's so wrong. It's That's so what? That's um, crazy. Now, I'm no, sure. it's, it's, it's exactly how they do business every day, all day long, constantly. I've been there. I've been in the middle of it. And uh, so, so do you know, do you know how workmen? Sir? How, how workmen? No, sir. I don't believe I do. Well, Mr. I, workman, well, if we've met, please forgive me for not recognizing your name. Well, the reason I'm asking, he says, you're singing my song, let business do their thing, un <laughs> unfetter them from red tape and governmental overreach. That's my red I want to unfetter everybody from red tape and governmental overreach. Every really? single person. Listen, if you've got a business and you think that short, ugly, loud Irishmen are, uh, you know, unpleasant and you don't want them in your business, and I walk up to your door and you say, I don't want you here, my response is, yes, sir, have a good day. Now I might go down to the local uh, short, ugly Irish guy hall and let all of my my uh, you know my uh, kinsmen know that uh, that you've got a problem with us. But you know I'm I'm not going to go to the government and ask them to make a law to shut you down. That is actually at the root of a lot of the problems we have in our society. First of all, we conflate society with government. They are not the same thing. We conflate nation with government. They are not the same thing. And then we want the government to run the society and the nation. The government doesn't exist to run the society and or the nation. So what are we talking about here? Well, society is just us. It's, it's, 
it's an amorphous incongruous thing. It's hard to define. It's just us hanging out together. Right. right. Now I personally, because of my devoted Christian beliefs and because of the way I was raised and, you know, I believe that if I see my neighbor suffering, it is not just a nice thing for me to do. It is my duty, my honor bound duty to find something to do to help them if I can. Right. I actually consider it sinful to refuse to help someone when I know that it, that there's good to be done. Okay. But the government, that's, that's a societal need. All this time you hear about social programs. Absolutely. It's society that needs to deal with that. Not the government. Those are not right. government. Social programs should not be governmental programs. They're not the same thing. It's the wrong tool. So what tool is the government? It's a sword. Government exists uh, and, and creates no wealth. Government uh, has one topic, one tool, excuse me. Government has one purpose, which is to secure the natural rights of each individual citizen. And it does that with a sword. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, basically the idea is that the only language the government speaks is law, right? Would we agree with that? Right. That's the only language government speaks. If the government says do something, it's a law, right? Right, right. Okay, so <clears throat> what, what does the language of law sound like? Well, it's either do this or I will shoot you or don't do this because I will shoot you if you don't stop, whatever it is. You know, either don't drive down the road too fast or I will shoot you or give your money to someone that we've decided needs your money more than you do, or we will shoot you. And a lot of people seem to think that I'm exaggerating, but think about it. All right, so the government comes to your door and they say, give us 30% of your paycheck so we can give it to people we think needs it more than you do. And you say, no, thank you. And they say, no, 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 we're serious. And you say, well, I'm serious too. I'm not interested in, in giving you my money. I don't trust you to give it to the people who actually need it. I trust you to misuse it. And they say, well, here's the problem. Um, we have guns. And you say, no, 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 we're, we're having a discussion here about what's right and wrong. You know, can you can you explain to me why it's right for you to do this? And they have no no justification for it. And you say, can you explain to me why it's effective for you to do this? And they certainly have no justification for that. They can't answer that question at all because it's not effective. And then you say, OK, well, um, how do, you, how do you justify doing this? And they say, you're not listening. We have guns. And you say, no, thank you. And they say, well, okay, we're going to take you to jail now. And you say, you know what? I'm not interested in going to jail. Thank you anyway. And they say, well, we're, we're taking you. And you say, no, thanks. And then what do they do? They grab a gun and they point it at you. Now, look, I spent a lot of my life as a soldier. All right. I pointed a lot of guns at a lot of people. There is a justification for government to do that. And the only justification for government to do that is to secure the natural rights of citizens. That's the only valid reason for the government to exist, for the government to take any action, and certainly for the government to point a gun at somebody. It's the only justification. See, that, and, and that's, on all, that's on all levels. Yes, sir. Everything. The only purpose it has. You know, that's it. That's the only reason it exists. As a city councilman, I've always told people, I said, you know, I'd be up, we'd be talking about something and I would say, you know, I work for you. You don't work for me. You know, you tell me what you need to do. But then, I, you know, I, I used to do that for a while, but after a while I got schooled on, you know, Bob, 
if they don't like something you did, they'll be here. But if they're not here, you might you might take that as the idea of, well, you're doing something right because they're not here. Okay. Silence implies consent. You know, silence implies consent. Well, that's not that's not actually true. Of course, you know, most people take it that way, but it might be that silence implies that they've just given up on you. It's, they're done talking with you. You're useless. You know, you're not listening anyway. Most sane people would just give up on you. And right. frankly, that's one of the things that I've learned traveling around this state. You know, like I, like I said earlier, I've served two terms as a delegate, and then I ran for governor in 2020 as the independent candidate. And uh, by the way, I got 2% of the vote as a write-in candidate, so that was, uh, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about that. We got over 15,000 write-in votes, and, and I'm still struggling to get, well, I'm not struggling, we're making progress, but, you know, I kind of figured that once I announced that I was running, those 15,000 people would say, let me sign your petition so we don't have to write you in next time. Yeah. But maybe I just need to get a hold of them, you know? Um, but the thing is, people have given up. They're just like, the government is so corrupt and so lost that we're just waiting for it all to collapse. That's, that's, yeah, that's happening. Exactly. going to happen pretty quickly, it seems like. Well, here's here's the deal. I mean, I've got kids. I can't afford to give up. I cannot right. allow any of my grandkids to ever look me in the eye and say, you know, why did you let this happen to me? One of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to turn this thing around. And by the way, my, my st studies in graduate school were all focused on how free societies devolve into totalitarianism so that I could try to find a way to reverse the process because that's where we're headed. All right. I want to reverse the process. I want to build a place, a, a, a sanctuary for free men. Men, of course, when we use it this way, means the creature man, which includes women, Miss T. I know you know that. Yeah. But, uh, she said we're going, uh -huh. a sanctuary uh -huh. for free men, a very bastion of liberty is what I intend to do here. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet, that's my, Bob. That's my granddaughter, Riley. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Uh, but, uh, you know, my kids show their love by making fun of me, but I, I deal with it. <laughs> Oh, you, but, my daughter does. My daughter does. Yeah, her favorite thing. Yeah. Her favorite thing is yes, dear. When my <laughs> when my wife says something, my man to get she'll go yes, dear. That's the two favorite words I've learned in being. We were married forty three years yesterday. And Congratulations! My, That's something to be proud of. Then my two favorite words: yes, dear. <laughs> so That's you always let you have the last words. Is, Tay, do you do you have any more questions? Uh, that, well, I yeah, had a bunch. I do. Yes. Um, so the the whole burning question across the state of West Virginia right now is, would you put mayonnaise on a pepperoni roll? Oh, good Lord. I don't eat. I don't eat mayonnaise anyway, period. <laughs> Certainly not on a pepperoni roll. I want to tell you a quick. I got to tell you a quick pepperoni story. I was at a, I was at a, I was at a conference in Beckley and this guy, the instructor was the emergency management director for the state of California. Really nice guy. So we're all sitting there talking and he goes, well, I want to go try these pepperoni rolls that you guys keep talking about. So when he came, whoop, we lost, him. Uh, we lost him. Wait till he gets back here. Yeah. Thanks, T. You're welcome. 
man. Where do you go? Did you see that on the whatever bowl? Yeah. They were putting mayonnaise on everything and then mustard on a donut. Oh my God. JR would flip out. <laughs> I'd like to have two jelly filled and two mustard filled. <laughs> no, thank you. No, 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 no. Oh, come on, Marshall. Hit the button. Well, anyway, while we're waiting for Marshall, Robert, yes. look up, Bobby. Hold on. Some lady's driving me nuts. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, I just thank you because this is something we need to do. Because tonight's Bobcast is brought to you by Affordable Lawn Works, LLC. Call Mike Deem for any of your snow removal, lawn care needs. Just a great guy who's trying very hard. He's he's just a great kid. And his number is there, 304-991-2859. Get a hold of Mike and he'll come over and give you a good estimate. He does good work. He does my yard, so I don't have to. And he does several businesses. And so, you know, go see Mike and uh, tell him you heard it on the Bobcast. And that way he can come over and pat me on the back. Because I like go. that. So anyway, it looks like he ran. So I think, anyway, the story the story behind what I was going to tell you, this instructor went to Sheets and Beckley. And he went inside and he goes, he made the ultimate mistake. He said, are these anything like uh, Hot Pockets? And he told me, he goes, the look on that lady at the counter, the look on her face was priceless. I said, you're trying to get run out of the state of West Virginia. He goes, I, did, I, I didn't know. You don't ever call up. That is Pepper our sacred food, Bob. That is our sacred food. It's sacrilegious, I think, it is what it yes. is. Yes, yes. But anyway, so while we're doing this and everybody, we're waiting on Marshall to get back. He must have hit a button. Yeah, like I mentioned kind of yes, you know, a little bit ago, uh, Amanda and I were married 43 years ago yesterday. Yay. And, Yay. Oh, and somebody asked me, they said, you mean somebody put up with you that long? I think there was alcohol involved. I can't find a man to put up with me that long, Bob. 30 well, days max. 30 days. I, I, I went the other day to uh I went the other day to the store and I told the lady, I said, they were getting ready to close and she let me get milk and stuff. I said, Do you realize what would have happened if I did not come home with milk? She goes, What? I'd have walked outside and the dog would have said, Will it be your normal two day stay, sir, or will this be extended? <laughs> she started laughing. I'm like, Man, I'm telling you what, that woman's brutal. And the guy the other day, T, you walked out and he goes, Hello, Mr. Mercer. And I said, Hello, is your wife still beating you? And I said, Pretty much every day. <laughs> there he is. Oh, we're back. Got no yes. picture. Got no picture on him yet. Let's see. Got no picture, Marshall. Yeah, he's, he's, well, there, there's another. There he is. Okay, there we go. Let's get rid of this. There we there go. We are. All right. Hey, I'm sorry. We weren't computer. Just we weren't talking about you or anything. We were just telling. I was telling him the the pepperoni roll thing where they, this instructor from California he went to lunch. He went to Sheets in Beckley. Right. 
and he was talking to him and he said now these pepperoni rolls are they like hot pockets and he said bob the look on the lady's face behind the counter was priceless i mean that was almost sacrilegious right there right, right. <laughs> but anyway so we were just talking about a few things wait we figured you'd hit a hit a button somewhere I well, thought he got mad because you know he, he the whole mayonnaise pepperoni roll thing. So well, I tell you, I tell you what, Misty, my standard response to getting mad is not to go away; it's to engage more fully. Uh, uh oh, yeah. So you know what? <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, Katie Trinnery. We appreciate that. She's um, yes. Thank you, Miss Katie. Uh, she is um, Rashid. Uh, Yostas um, representative. You know Rashida, don't you? Katie Trinari is Rashida Yostas uh, representative? I, I think. I think. I mean, that's what I'm, I think it is. I think she is. Hmm. I just got I her, I got her friend request the other day, and I just assumed that's who that was because um, we're trying to get her on just because. I've, I've never met her before, before, obviously, but we're trying to get all levels. I mean, we've got so many, you know, and I'm glad you're on. You're the first. You're the first. And I'm glad that you're the I'm first honored. one to be on our show. I am um, honored. Because we are absolutely tearing up. We're, we're booked now to April. Once we get everybody on the calendar, we're booked up to April with congressional people, governors, secretary of states, auditors, magistrates, you know. And I want everybody to be able to hear everybody and hear their side of it and understand that, you know, there are more choices out there than R and D and right. And I, yeah. so that's why, that's why Rick and I, when we did this before T came on, um, we said, we, we've got to, we, we've got to start getting the word out about different things that people need to hear. And this is one of them. And this is one of the things that people, and I don't mean to cut into your time, but, this is one thing that people love about the Bobcast. They they find out things that they would never know was going on because Rick and I try very hard to make sure that we tell everybody what's going on. And I've got a lot of people because I, I get frustrated real easy with technical issues. I, I'm not a technical man. That guy right there, Rick, if it wasn't for him, there'd be no Bobcast. And I, I don't say that just to say it. I, I, I right pay him very well to say those things. <laughs> because he has he absolutely he, he absolutely is a space age whiz kid and yeah, come on. We people would expect me to do something fancy keep that up we were doing something we were doing something there and he goes you know i just realized that i don't know what you do and you don't know what i do and i went so he sent me a real long thing about about what he does and i'm like heck no I just get on here and run my yapper with tea. <laughs> I had to bring tea on because Rick's sitting there going, shut up, Bob. <laughs> and I do that so, too, but you know. So anything else, T, that you'd like to say? Yeah. You're full of questions. I'm if full you of questions. I'd like to ask. I, I love it. I'm well, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so you want to... Um, make this a better place for our children, your children, everybody's children in the state of West Virginia. Right now, 
I think everybody feels that the school system needs a lot of improvement. Mm -hmm. And you as governor, how would you go about improving the school system in the state of West Virginia? Thanks for asking that. And, and keep in mind that there are legislative, constitutional, uh, public uh, policy, uh, county and, and uh, internal policy issues that are involved here. So when I talk about that, when I talk about the general overarching things I'd like to do, I want you all to understand that I know that all of these things need to be addressed. It's not like I'm just going to walk in as the governor and say, make it happen. I know that it doesn't work that way. What I meant a while ago when I said that I can, I can audit all of these departments, but it's not like in the Army where I can just order the change. There are procedures you have to go through, and I intend to do that. Um, so the first thing is that I would like to state that um, the, the State Department of Education uh, should not be a directorate. It should be a consultancy. It should exist to provide resources, operations, training, uh, help to the school systems to do their job, not sit there in Charleston and uh, issue edicts about how to act, how Ms. Smith should handle the kids in her class. They don't know the kids in her class. They don't know the situation. They need to be there to support her when she says, hey, I need help with this particular issue. Um, or actually not even directly for them. They shouldn't be directly involved with individual teachers or the uh, classrooms at all. They shouldn't issue edicts about how those things are run. So basically the way that I see it is the parents are responsible for the children's behavior and performance, the students' behavior and performance. Parents are responsible for that. Now the older students are assume more and more responsibility for their own behavior and, and, and uh, performance. But effectively, on the adult level, the parents are responsible for that. Teachers are responsible for effectively providing a, uh, a thorough and efficient education on whatever subject they've been hired to teach or directed to teach in their classroom and to maintain uh, uh, a level of control in the classroom that allows them to thoroughly and efficiently, uh, to provide that thorough and efficient education. Because that is the constitutional mandate for public education in West Virginia, that uh, the students of this state be provided a thorough and efficient education in a system of free schools. Now, of course, we realize nothing is really free, that what that really means is that you, the taxpayer, are paying for it, and therefore it's accountable to you for its performance. So the parents are responsible for the kids' behavior and performance, Teachers are responsible for maintaining control of their classroom and providing a thorough and efficient education on their assigned subjects. Part of maintaining control of that classroom is that they have to be able to remove disruptive students from that classroom. They have to. I've talked to teachers all over the state and I've said, well, why don't you just remove that guy? And they say, well, we can't. We're not allowed to. They have to be allowed to, which means that there has to be another place for those students to go. Now, when I was in school, I was that disruptive kid. Uh, I always had something to say. I always had a joke or, uh, you know, was always questioning everything the teacher said. And uh, that was not conducive to either my learning or to anyone else in the class learning. And ultimately, about the eighth grade, the principal had, had coffee or lunch with my dad and had words with him. And uh, then my dad came home and, uh, you know, strangely enough, my uh -oh. behavior changed. Changed pretty rapidly. My dad's a combat veteran Marine and a Baptist preacher. So, uh, you know, he, he knew which levers to wow. work on going. Um, so my behavior changed. Uh, I'm not going to tell you my attitude changed right away, but it did over as, as I grew up. Um, so the teachers have to have that tool because they're not there to babysit. They're not there to teach your kids what to uh, how to behave. But they're also 
not there to teach our kids what to believe. This is critical to me. They are not there to teach Amen. worldview. Amen. They are there to teach academic subject. All right. So the local administrators have to be able to, to manage their schools without interference from some bureaucrat sitting somewhere in the middle of nowhere who thinks they know more than they do. Yeah, educated. Go ahead. I was just saying educated professional adults. They need to be allowed to do their job. Now, they need to be held to the standard, which is that they actually provide the education to the students. Now, whether the students receive it or not, you know, that's that's a different question. But it has to be made available to them. It has to be presented in a way that that it's available to the students. So um, local administrations have to run the local schools. Uh, local school boards, county school boards have to run the local administrations. And those local school boards, those county school boards are accountable directly to the people who elect them, period, period. So when you show up wow. at a board of education meeting, you know, their regular meetings and you show up and you're in the audience and you stand up and ask a question, they need to understand that they're actually answering their boss, that they're speaking directly to their employer, that there's not someone at the state or someone in the legislature or someone at the federal government who is going to contradict your word as you tell them how you expect your school to be run, they will understand that this school belongs to you. Your children attend it. Your, uh, your friends teach there. Your friends work there. Your tax dollars support it. And, and you want it to represent, you know, you want it to represent the, or to, to actually meet the standard. That standard is to provide a thorough and efficient education in academic topics. They need to be accountable to you. That's simple. So, well, see, I was told you, I was told the other day that the legislature is working on, because I, I was talking to some people about the way the disrespect that's shown to the teachers anymore, um, yeah. in the classroom, and you know, I was told that the legislature is working on that right now. They're working on something, and, and I said, you know, if I'd have disrespected a teacher back in the day, mm-hmm. There, I mean, no, a, it didn't. It never happened. You, you just don't do it. Uh, I do. Now, the parents, the teachers are scared to death at times. I don't know about here specifically, but yeah. the the teachers are scared to death because they, you know, they can't touch the kid. But you know, I mean, and when I get on the board of education, I'm, I'm going to be all up in that. You know. Well, so. I, I'm not sure that teachers should necessarily have to touch students to straighten them out i think they should just be able to tell them to leave and if the student has a problem with leaving you know there should be a place for them to go to you know, you know when i was in high school we called the time or in school suspension and uh, i probably spent more than my fair right. amount of and i deserved it and it, it taught me i learned that okay um students were able to learn their academic subjects but it is not the teacher's job to stop presenting academic information to then coach me on my life skills. Now, if that coaching needs to happen, it doesn't need to happen in the classroom. There needs to be an outside the classroom path for that to happen. Fortunately, I lived in a small town and the principal really, really cared about his students. And he went to see my dad and then he called me into his office and he said, look, you can do things with your life. Stop doing this. We are behind you. We're on your side. Now, you know, that's, I, I think most educators are probably in that position. But the point is they can't 
do that. They can't reach out to the kid as a human being, the student as a human being and say, look, we're behind you, but we need you to get in line with what we're doing here so we can all accomplish our goal, which is to get you a thorough and efficient education. Fortunately, right. the educators when I was in, in school were able to do that. And they did. They cared a great deal, not only about me, but about all the other students. Unfortunately, our state's like 49th and 50th in like math and eighth grade. Um, what was the 49th and eighth grade English or something like that. And it seems like West Virginia always falls in that percentile. And we need somebody to do something about it. I mean, I'm not saying me. I'm just saying we need somebody to say, hey, uh, you know, we, we've got the kids are our future, the future of this great country. Right. And we've and got to we start. We've got to start teaching them civics again. Right now, we got to start teaching them Absolutely. now because if we don't, we're done. We've got a great civics teacher out here at the school that my kids go to. I think a lot of him, and uh, he and I have had some talks on the outside. You know, just just man to man, just as friends talking. And he is uh, <laughs> he's held me accountable for a couple of things that I've said, and uh, and uh, he's taught a couple of my kids. And I got to tell you, there there are some folks out there who really want to do the job. There are some people, some real adults who are educated and who care about the kids and want to do the job. It's the system. You know, when I was in the, the delegates, you know, that was during the time that we had the two teacher strikes. So I was there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that was going on was they were demanding a pay raise. Well, well, first of all, they hadn't had a pay raise since the 70s. Now, they got a bonus one year, which was called a pay raise, but it wasn't an actual increase in their rate of pay. So it wasn't a pay raise. It was... It was a, you know, a bonus check. So um, okay. since the 70s, guys, do you know how much cost of living has increased since the 70s? So, you know, I was all dollars. <laughs> a few, yeah. So I was all for it. What I was concerned about was that they were uh, also uh, concerned about issues with PEIA. Well, first of all, the law says that PEIA has to be funded. That's it. It has to be funded. You know, so there was never any question about whether or not it would be funded. It was simply figuring out in the budget where that funding would come from, be funded. So it was going to be funded. Um, the other thing is that uh, the cost of PEIA was increasing, and then PEIA was placing all these requirements or these, these regulations on their members. Well, that was, that was established by the PEIA board. The legislature had nothing to do with that. And they were doing that based on the market, based on how much it was costing to care to people. So the um, thing is, I was right in the middle of this, and I, I kept asking, what's the real issue? And although people came in and said, look, we need to make more money, ultimately, after talking with them for 20 or 30 minutes, it would get to the point where they said, look, it's insulting to be paid what we're being paid. It's insulting that Jim Justice wants to offer us a 1% pay raise. But what's really insulting is we like children. So yep. I'm not saying that they don't need to be paid, paid commensurate with their authority. They should, or their responsibility and authority. They absolutely should. But they also should be treated like adults. They should to make They deserve children. our utmost respect. They deserve our utmost respect. Well, I mean, the, it's the, not an easy job. No. And and I, I want to be I want to be fair about this. The thing is that in every profession there are people who do the job and there are people who don't and there need to be, you know, there's a differentiation. You don't, right. You, you don't treat people who are killing themselves not the right way, the same way you do the person who uh, sits in a chair all day and stares at the wall. I don't think there are many of them, but you know, you, there has to be a, a way 
way to differentiate between who is excelling, who's meeting the standard, and who's failing to meet the standard. And then there has to be a procedure to bring everybody along to meet the standard, and then you incentivize excellence. You know, that, that needs to happen. Most, most people want to do a good job. But if you keep constantly exactly. pressing, you know, putting your thumb on their head and pressing them down and saying, no, you have to, you have to excel like this, well, that's not what excellence looks like. You know, that's, uh, that's cookie cutter. And, and no, when you're talking about a classroom full of people, human beings, human beings are not cookie cutter. You know, they're, they're, the, the individual instructors, the teachers in the classrooms are not, you know, they're not uh, bots and the students are not robots. You can't just program something from, you have to set <clears throat> principles, priorities, and standards. And then you have to step and let human beings deal with them. And you keep an eye on it. You know, you don't you don't let people create. No. But they meet the standard. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I I, I was just I'm, I I told Rick when I told him on one. I said, you got to hear this guy. He's like smart. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Rick. I mean, just you're you're so articulate and and you say you know you. So you say it with belief. You, the, you say it with belief. Terrible at that this kid's free. It's the only way to leave a legacy of go. liberty to my and that is to engage and to stand up for these principles everywhere and any time that I can and that's what you say. Well listen, it's seven thirty and I I just want you to know. Marshall, that we appreciate you being here, man. You, you've been so insight. You've been so insightful, and we're proud to have you as our first guest. I mean, it was just, it, as Yay. far as um, in the um, election cycle, um, but we appreciate you, and we wish you the very best of luck. And if there's anything at all that the Bobcast can do to help you out, hey, we're here. So you. you know, we appreciate you, and we'll, good luck to you, sir. Can I try to get a hold of? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was going to be the next question. <laughs> so it's Marshall 4WV. Marshall 4WV, numeral 4.com. Uh, Marshall 4WV.com is our website. On there, we've got a contact page. We've got a page where you can figure out how to either print off signature forms for the petition, request them from the team, and we will mail them out to you. And then please just get as many signatures as you can and send to the address that you'll find that page in a little blue box, a little rectangle down toward the bottom of the page. There's a PO box. Send those in there. We've got those with them. She does a great job, much better than I would do. Uh, we've also, if, if it's okay with you guys, we'll post uh, at least some excerpts, maybe not, maybe the whole episode on the website. Uh, um, we've absolutely. got a bunch of Absolutely. Thank you. Got a bunch of my statements, got bio, uh, anything you might want to know. And then if, if I didn't answer anything you want to know, there's a way to get a hold of you so you can ask questions so I can address them. I, I am profoundly honored by this time and this opportunity to talk with you all. We, we are as well. Really? So, that I've been working on Todd Williams. And uh, right now through the holidays, and probably we intend to crank up uh, start podcasting soon. I think we've got episodes in the can. Awesome. Awesome. They're each about an hour long 
And uh, we talk about various things like uh, in one episode, we go back to uh, Greek philosophy and we figure out where the idea of personal energy came from. We trace it uh, through the podcast. We trace it through the ethics. So you've got rational thought, philosophers, the Judeo-Christian ethic, and then the rule of law elements. You put those three together. Those three pillars are the foundation of Western civilization. And uh, basically, the, the, the ideals of Western civilization were the closest to being upheld in human history uh, when the, uh, the former slaves were given full citizen right to vote. That is about as close as any country wow. has ever come to, uh, to reaching those ideals. And when you take that uh, as, a, uh, as a, uh, a model for what we're actually trying to accomplish here, uh, extending all rights, all protections, all people that's what we're really working on here awesome that's right up your alley rick it's indeedy and that's we're right. going to have all of this information all your contact information will be on uh on our website and on our uh, youtube channel as well fantastic so thank you this, this this will be on youtube in about an hour marshall because um, oh great well we'll link to it rick goes in and Rick goes in and does closed captions and stuff like that. And he kind of, you know, makes sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. And so that plus we're on every, every podcast site and um, outlet. Um, so, you know, they'll hear the audio version on the like iHeart, Spotify. Right. All them other hundred, you know, our own. So we're yeah. there. And so, and everybody gets to meet Miss T, you know, now. Yay. <laughs> she'll be all over the country and they'll say who's that yeah. <laughs> you know, y'all should, anyway, should so, end with uh, with miss t's name so that you know you can affect you, you can talk about how she prevents the tedium in the podcast you know what i'm saying <laughs> that's a that's the fact gotta, because rick's gotta be not like her talk gotta be all right well listen this it's been a ple it's been a pleasure, sir, and we wish you the very best. And we're, like I said, if there's anything we can do, everything will be on our website and on our podcast sites, and it can be found anywhere that we can be found. Um, if you're in the town, let us know. If you're coming into town sometime, let us know, and we'll be glad to come out and hang out with you. You know. Okay. Well, there's so, a calendar I, uh, on our, on our web website too, so you can just go to the website, click on calendar. It shows where I'm going to be and when and all that kind of stuff. So you keep an eye on me too and grab a hold of me if you can. Copy, Great. Copy. We will do that, sir. All right, T, Rick, Marshall, guys, have a great evening. Listen, everybody out and you know that watches, thank you very much. Thank you for sticking with us. And we're going to have fun in the near future. T's over there thinking of things right now. She's like, how can I just, up, you know. So, what have I got myself into? <laughs> All right, listen, I'm, we're going to wrap it up. And if anything else you guys need, please let us know, okay? Y'all take care. All right, guys. Rick, All right. T, All right, good you, guys, you guys take care, Rick. T, good night, y'all. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Um, take us out. Oh, we don't have that anymore, do we? Nope.